You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson. Hello to my friends at St. John's. Uh, This is David Blackman speaking to you from sunny Alice Springs, where I work with Wycliffe Bible translators amongst the Aliawara people. There are about 1,800 speakers of the Aliawara language uh, living in an area to the north and northeast of Alice Springs. I've been doing this since 1992. My wife, Mari, passed away in 2004. I'm very grateful to you, folk, for your encouragement and your prayer support over many years. It's been very much appreciated. At the moment, I'm uh, working on or starting to work on preparing the next edition of the Aliawara Mini Bible for typesetting. That'll take me some weeks to do that. It will contain 82% of the New Testament and 10% of the Old. I'll also be working on some more audio recording, uh, one and two Peter. We already have several books and epistles available in audio format uh, and also preparing the script for the first section of the Gospel of Luke for a video. We already have the Easter section, which has been very well received. My sons, Paul and Simon, are grown up. Of course, Paul is actually returned, has returned to Alice Springs to work as a physiotherapist. Simon is studying in Adelaide. And I plan to move there later this year in semi-retirement. There is plenty of me, plenty for me still to do. I'll be working on some Aliawada projects and other things as well. Uh, in the meantime, I have to find a place to live. Thank you again for your encouragement and I ask God to bless you as you meet together and serve him together. And now I'm going to read to you from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 to 29 from the NIV. To the angel at the church at Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. 
Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learnt Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we have recently translated this book into Aliaura, which was quite a challenge. Uh, this passage uh, of necessity is twice as long as in the NIV, so I'll just read to you verse 19 so you can hear what it sounds like. Thank you. Well, hello. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. And I pray, Lord, that you speak to us and that we live this in our lives. For your glory. Amen. Well, I want you to be honest. Do you ever check your phone when you're driving? I'm not saying you write entire like essays in a text message while you're driving the car, but you know, maybe you're expecting a message from someone and the ding goes off, so you look down and have a glance. We know this is really dangerous behavior. We have TV ads warning us of the dangers. Victorian police have got new strategies in place to catch us being on our phone when driving, but still many of us still do it. I have been guilty of this dangerous behaviour in the past. Well, up until this one time when I was interstate and I was driving a hire car and I was turning off a main road into the driveway where I was staying and this lady behind me was on her phone. And she didn't see my car slow down. And as I turned, she hit me from behind. My car flipped and rolled and I ended up hanging upside down. I had to smash the glass to get out. The car was completely written off. By God's grace, I was fine. See, it's fair to say that this incident has changed my attitude and behaviour on the road ever since. Well, today we start in, continue in our series called Dear Church, where we're hearing for what Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation. Last week, we heard the letter to Pergamum. And this church was under incredible pressure to be like the culture around them. 
See, if the church in Pergamum was flirting with sin, like one recklessly, recklessly using a phone while driving, in Jesus' warning to the church in Thyatira today, it was heading to a full-on collision as some embraced the sin of the culture around them. So as we consider this church in Thyatira, as you see on the map on the screen, as you head inland towards Syria, you find Thyatira. Actually, in the year 2012, I had the chance to visit the archaeological site. And you may see the photo that this site has been built on. At one end, there's these residential buildings, as you can see. At the other end, there's this multi-story car park. So compared to these six other churches in modern-day Turkey, there's least known about this city and this church. But this is the longest letter that Jesus writes. So Jesus has something to say. See, Thyatira was located on a trade route and it was a commercial centre. And inscriptions have been found to many trades like wool and linen and uh, leather and even dyeing. As we look in the book of Acts, we meet Lydia, a businesswoman from Thyatira, and she sells purple clothes and she encounters Paul and his message about Jesus. But the key industry in this place was copper and bronze smelting. So with all this industry in Thyatira, it was famous for its trade associations or guilds. They're like a cross between a trade union and a business association like the Diamond Creek Traders Association. But these trade guilds went so much further than just representing the interests of workers or businesses. For example, in the bronze industry, they had their own local deity or god, Apollos Timnaeus, which was so, seen as so important to them that their image was on the coin along with the Roman emperor. They were a big deal. I just want you to imagine yourself there. Imagine your grandfather was a smelter. Your father, your brother was a smelter. So you are a bronze smelter. So you join the guild like everyone else to secure work. You know, it's Friday, it's after work, and members were expected to go to these regular guild feasts or banquets. You go because everyone else goes, you don't want to rock the boat. So these banquets begin and it starts with these worship ceremonies where meat is sacrificed to their patron gods, to invoke blessings and, and divine blessing from for their industry. So this meat will be brought to the table and then the drinks would start flowing and then prostitutes from the temple would appear and very quickly things got very loose sexually. So what does the Christian do? Like what last week? The pressure for the Christians to conform would have been so great. See, these trade guilds made it impossible to find work without belonging to one. Either you join or you're out of work. 
Either conform or you're on your own. Could the Christian profess Christ while being part of all this idolatry and sexual immorality? Last week, the image to the church in Pergamum was that Jesus is speaking with the image of the sword. Well, this week to Thyatira, the message is Jesus is watching. Come with me to verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. See, amongst all the power and the authority of these trade guilds, we see the power and authority of Jesus. Jesus, with eyes like blazing fire, knows his church. He sees the situation. He sees their immense pressure and their daily lives beyond the surface as they face all the sin and idolatry around them. See, like in many of these letters to the seven churches, at the beginning there's an encouragement, and we have that here in verse 19. Jesus sees their love, their faith, and their service. This is the only church names for their love. So at first it sounds like they're a mature church. But all of a sudden we have this incredibly serious warning. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrifice to idols. See, Jesus warns of this Jezebel and Her name is likely symbolic, but this name comes with a lot of baggage. We just had a baby daughter and the fun part is choosing the name to call your child. And I want to tell you, Jezebel wasn't on the list of names. See, in 1 Kings, there's a villa named Queen Jezebel and she enticed God's people to engage with idols of the other nations and all the sexual immorality that went with it. We don't know if she had an official title in the church, but what we do know is that she had influence and she was a self-proclaimed prophet. While in Pergamum, the pressure to conform was largely external, in this church, the, the issue was internal. Jezebel gave license for believers to participate in these guild feasts, to join in with the worship, to join in with the sexual immorality. She possibly used the Bible to even justify these practices, quoting passages on Christian freedom. So the the word licentious actually comes from the word license. If you have your driver's license, I bet you remember the day you got it. It's a big deal. See, here in Victoria, our driver's license is given by the authority of the state government delegated through Vic Roads. So to get your license, you need to pass a bunch of theory and driving tests from an official Vic Roads tester. See, our authority to drive is given by the state. But imagine that we lived in a world where rather than Vic Roads, 
each individual could determine if they were ready and fit to drive. Imagine a 16-year-old waking up one day saying, I really believe that I'm a good driver. So despite having no hours of driving experience, they register themselves as licensed and get by the w- behind the wheel straight away. Imagine the chaos on the roads. Imagine all the car accidents like mine. It's a scary thought. Well, similarly, in this church, Jezebel's teaching gave license. She gave authority when Jesus did not give authority to participate in these guild feasts and compromise their worship of Jesus alone. So how did this church go wrong? Well, firstly, the church discarded truth to fit into the culture around them. Verse 20, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Jesus pinpoints that her teaching is at the root of the problem. See, this self-made prophet, her teaching was not in line with Jesus' teaching. And when false teaching isn't confronted, it spreads like wildfire, harming many people. See, correct teaching, our theology is important, not for puffed up knowledge, but for righteous living. Right theology leads to right worship of Jesus. Conversely, wrong theology strays us to exchange the worship of Jesus for the idols around us. Our beliefs significantly shape how we live. I'll give you an example. For example, if you hold on to a certain end time belief that Jesus will come back and rapture his people away, that can lead to some believing of having a low view of the environment and our creation. But if you believe that Jesus is coming back to renew and redeem us and his creation, we take seriously the call to take care of this earth now. But wrong teaching can completely undermine our entire faith. For example, if someone denies Jesus' physical resurrection, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Our faith hangs on this truth. Without the resurrection, we are still left dead in our sins and death still reigns. We might as as well pack up and go home. See, Jezebel's false teaching in Thyatira actually became heresy in the early church. Her teaching was that that the soul was the most important and our physical bodies were unimportant or bad. So as long as the soul was kept pure, what happens in our body doesn't matter. So license was given and people did all sorts of things. In verse 24, we see without clear truth, things get real dark real quick where Jezebel's teaching involved learning Satan's so-called deep secrets. Likely Jezebel and other false teachers were trying to demonstrate their own power by engaging in darkness and exposing themselves to it. 
This poisoned the church from the inside out. It drove people away from Jesus. It's serious. Thyatira shows that sliding theologically leads us to slide morally. And it's, it, it's not only this the case, but also that our sinful lives can cause us to distort our teaching in order to justify certain practices. Today, there are those in church leadership in the name of tolerance, discarding truth, inviting in idolatry and sexual immorality in order to be accepted by the culture around us. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. See, like the church in Thyatira, we have immense pressure to discard and ignore or maybe water down truths in God's word that are unpalatable in the culture around us. What truths are we tempted to discard to be accepted? See, notice here also that Jesus' rebuke wasn't idolatry outside the church, but within the church. It's not that the church was to leave the world, but the worldliness was to leave the church. We are to sift what the world promotes meaning sometimes we receive some things, things like caring for the poor around us. Yet some things we are to redeem where we seek Christian answers to problems identified by the world. But the message here from Jesus shows that loyalty to him means at times we are to reject some things in following Jesus. We can't always celebrate things as good if they are not And it's actually what we reject in our loyalty to Jesus that makes us misunderstood and the bad guys we're dismissed as out of touch, as being intolerant. But the problem with this church in Thyatira was that it failed to sift their culture. It failed to have the courage to reject some things that their culture was celebrating in their loyalty to Jesus. So they participated in the guild feasts. Secondly, we see that this church began to tolerate sin within. See, our culture here in Australia once prided itself on tolerance, but I would suggest has become increasingly intolerant. Once we had tolerance of people when we disagreed with them, we would say, well, I disagree with you, but I insist on your right to have an opinion, no matter how ignorant I think it is. But now people are speaking of my truth rather than the truth. And our culture is completely intolerant of any person who does not actively celebrate and join in with what they are doing. There is absolutely no tolerance for any opposing ideas and it makes someone the enemy, a bully, and all debate is shut down. So with this intolerance of opposing 
views. This is how sexual ethics is considered in our culture. And interesting, it's not that far from the culture of the church in Thyatira. Notice in verse 20, when Jesus rebukes this church, he, he rebukes their tolerance of this Jezebel and her teaching. Jesus is intolerant of idolatry and sexual sin in the church. In verse 22, as Jezebel seduces God's people to spiritual and literal idolatry and unfaithfulness, he is not happy. See, all our sin is idolatry and it's cheating on God. Do we see our sin like that? See, it's not that God only cares about sexual immorality and nothing else. I think as Christians, we can be way too focused on sexual sin outside the church and way too lenient on sexual sin inside the church. Last week, Tim spoke about the dangers of greed. Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and in our prayers of repentance, we repented of things like our dishonesty at work, neglecting our families and prayer and being indifferent to suffering and injustice and failing to forgive people. Yet at these guild feasts, there was a link between idol worship and sexual immorality. And because it's uncomfortable, we can't ignore it. So as we consider how we live our lives in this world, as members of the church, Jesus too searches our hearts and minds and sees us compromise watching those TV shows that influences our hearts to things of this world. Jesus searches our hearts and minds and sees those lines crossed with our boyfriend and girlfriend. Jesus searches our hearts and minds and sees our attitude to our marriage, resenting the lifelong commitment part when things get tough and we want to get out of there. Jesus searches our hearts and minds and sees how intimacy has dried up in our marriages or when we miss it in singleness, we search it out in pornography. And how does Jesus respond to the church? that has discarded truth to fit in, that was tolerating sin within. When verse 23 says, I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is sobering. But it's more than Jesus sees everything. Jesus who sees everything is reigning and returning as judge. See, when my daughter Hannah does something wrong, I give her a look. I count to three. But beyond my unhappy gaze, it's when I produce consequences, she knows I'm serious. When verses 22 and 23, Jesus' judgment here, the consequences bringing suffering and death for Jezebel and her followers, is really confronting. Jesus, who sees everything, is coming back and will judge unrepented wickedness in his church. He discerns everything. He sees what we think is unseen by other people and he holds us to account. In this letter, notice that Jesus holds individuals responsible for their lives. There isn't safety in numbers because everyone else is 
doing it. They couldn't blame Jezebel for following her. Jesus says, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. But the good news is that Jesus is not hasty to judge. He graciously gives opportunity for even Jezebel, the ringleader, to repent. She refuses. He graciously offers those who cheat on God with her to repent and turn away from the idolatry and come back to him. Jesus sees our wickedness and graciously calls us back. See, repentance means choosing to walk away from the idols and choosing to turn to Jesus and his love. See, if all of our sin is spiritual idolatry, what ways are we cheating on God? What specific sins does Jesus see and says, stop tolerating in your life? Maybe something that's begun with flirting with sin has turned into a full-on moral crash. But the good news today is that Jesus' blazing eyes are not of condemnation, but restoration. Like the church in Thyatira, Jesus doesn't write us off in all our idolatry and sin, but graciously gives us the opportunity to come back to him. In verse 24, Jesus encourages those in the church who didn't compromise with Jezebel at those guild feasts. Jesus saw that bronze smelter who who was disheartened as other Christians around them compromised as church leaders compromised but remained loyal to Jesus and took the consequences socially and even fiscally in order to be loyal to him. For those in Thyatira, wanting to avoid conforming to the culture, wanting to avoid tolerating sin within, wanting to reject things at time out of loyalty to Jesus, it would have been really easy to say, okay, let's make a big, long moral list. Let's make a big list of rules so people don't go to the guild feasts. Maybe come with a moral list of do's or don'ts so people in the church can know in every single situation how to follow Jesus and not be sucked into being like the world and being compromised. Or maybe they're tempted to think, let's just retreat. Let's just hide away from the bad, sinful world to stop ourselves and our children for being compromised by sin. But this is not Jesus' answer. In verse 24, he says, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. With all the pressure to compromise, Jesus' message isn't a burden of rules or more morality. Ultimately, righteous living comes from holding on to Jesus until he comes back. Two weeks ago, Dell described this image of being rescued from floods carried out from a disaster. You know, the rescuer coming down on a winch from a helicopter to save. And the one who is saving does the heavy lifting. But the person who's being rescued still needs to hold on for dear life until they are safe. 
So we can only persevere holding on to Jesus into the end by living lives of ongoing repentance, a lifestyle of turning away from idolatry and turning towards Jesus. It means when we fall into sin, we cling on to Jesus. It means if you fall into sin yet again, we hold on to sin despite all our guilt and shame. It means in those times that you resist pressure to compromise, you still hold on to Jesus because it's all from him. When you're feeling disheartened because friends around you are compromising, you hold on to Jesus. And as we hold on to Jesus, our underlying needs are ultimately met. See, all our pursuits for intimacy and comfort in that idol fails to deliver what our hearts are longing for and only just sends us into a spiral of guilt and shame. But holding on to Jesus means our needs are met. We are truly seen and valued and loved better than anything an idol can deliver. And we need each other for this. We need Christians around us. We need things like life group to hold on to Jesus at times when we need to be told that ultimately he is holding on to us. But that requires us to be real and vulnerable and talk about some of these idols in our lives. See, Jesus has an amazing plan for his imperfect church. In verses 26 and 7, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. See, Jesus here is quoting Psalm 2. He's saying that he's not only watching, but he is the returning and reigning king. He is the one with all authority. And amazingly, he shares this authority with his church. Despite all the ways we have failed and give, given in to the idols around us, Jesus gives us his authority, not to hide away from the world, but to make Jesus known to it, to your friend, to your colleague, to those who have also been let down by idols in our world. And Jesus offers salvation and says, cling onto me. See, it's only through Jesus' power and grace, instead of compromising like the world around us, instead of discarding truth to fit in and tolerate sin within, may we become the church that Jesus calls us to, clinging onto Jesus for repentance, our ruling, reigning and returning King. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.